welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 40, At the Museum with a Friend, recorded on October 27th, 2015. My name is Julie Bayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shue Balzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm pretty good. Really? It's because the I'm, weather's so nice today, right? I'm making soup, and I like making soup. Very that's good. I'm, com- I'm, I'm uh, coming over for dinner, and that's not actually like a threat. That's an actual fact. Well, I like the – it's – to me, it's free form. I don't usually follow a recipe, and I put a little of this and a little of that. And it's not dissimilar from the way you sort of use the scraps around your workplace to, to let's say, to put into your art journal. I kind of use a little leftover, you know, sweet potato, a little leftover apple. And before you know it, I've got soup. And actually, that is a great segue into our listener mail today, which is from Jessica Sporn, who's been a guest on the podcast. And she said in response to last podcast about Jody Ole, she said, I loved taking classes with Jody at Art Is You. She is a wonderful teacher, and it was great hearing all about all of her experiences turning rejections into lessons and ways to grow. I loved the quote, quote, Every no leads to a yes, end quote, great takeaway. So the way that I relate that to what you just said is, again, it's the idea of like garbage isn't really garbage. There's plenty that you can do with it. And the same as like no's aren't really no's, they're lessons for the future. And I know we talk a lot on this podcast all the time about failure and learning from failure. But I think it's a point that's worth emphasizing over and over, which is um, things are never – never over you know what I mean sometimes you just need to find a way around well if I could be semi-deep for a moment failure is not (laughs) failure is not the same thing as something ending and I think that's important to always remember it's 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 uh failure is different because it feels as if you somehow you are at fault but sometimes things come to an end and they should come to an end and we may not be ready for it but it's not the same as failure I agree with that because like I I actually I mean in Ray like my divorce somebody said to me you know you have to think about it less as a failed marriage than the fact that I had a relationship with someone for 17 years and that's a really long time to have a relationship with somebody and isn't that kind of a success of being able to maintain it even though at the very end you know the wheels fell off the bus and I think the same is true about um, how you define failure like maybe it's a failure because you had expectations of one thing and it became another but isn't it um it's like anything like they say like yogurt is a failed attempt to make cheese or cheese is a failed attempt to make yogurt or you you know what I mean like I can't remember which way it goes but there is that thing about maybe the way that because the way that we cook meat is based on the fact that it fell into the fire accidentally and then people liked the way that it tasted etc etc and I just think there are a lot of things about failure is only what if you define the expectation of what the outcome should be well, all right then. We've solved all the issues in the world. <laughs> Once I'm again, say we're so brilliant, and the podcast has barely started, and we have a brilliant guest with us too, who's also going to solve the world problems. Uh, and so, my friend Natalie Callback is the guest today, and Natalie needs no introduction because I talk about her all the time. Um, <laughs> but if you do need an introduction, so she is an artist originally from Germany, currently living in Jersey City. She's a wonderful mixed media painter. She's been doing a whole series of building and place painting. 
paintings that I think are fantastic that you can check out on her website. She is an avid collector of street art. And by that, I don't mean she has a thousand brick walls <laughs> covered with murals hanging in her studio, but rather she's always on a photo safari looking for all sorts of cool street art. Um, and you can find all that, of course, on her Instagram feed as well. I believe her username is the very esoteric and hard to remember Nat Callback. <laughs> okay. So hello, Natalie. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you the, for this very nice introduction. I well, like it's this... all lies. It's all lies. But, you know, I, try. <laughs> I like the street art hunter. I wish I could like, collect <laughs> brick walls. <laughs> I'd like to see that. So are you, are you sad and lonely in New York City now that I've moved away? Yes, I miss you a lot. There, it's... what else could you say when I ask you the question <laughs> point blank? Absolutely nothing. Well, actually, I replaced you. No, I did not. <gasps> you replaced me? <laughs> if you tell me that you that replaced me with like a stuffed animal or like an ice cream cone, I'm going to be very sad. <laughs> no, I did not. I uh, actually went to the museum, which is a part of our topic today, um, last week with Miriam um, Schulman. Who lives in New York, uh, upstate, and she um, reached out to me and she said, you know, as we know, being an artist, sometimes you get kind of lonely and I know you're around. Uh, unfortunately, Julie moved away, <laughs> but uh, maybe we can meet sometime and go to a museum. So uh, we met at MoMA and it was wonderful. Um, but it was also funny because, you know, usually you lived around and I would have called you up and said, come on over here and uh, let's go all together. So um, I missed you still. Sorry, Miriam. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking forward going out with you again. <laughs> but I even told her it's kind of weird to... To be at that place uh, without, you know, calling you at least up and say, hey, get your behind over here and meet me here. Yeah, we're two <laughs> blocks away. I, it's okay, cheater. That's fine. <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, so as I indicated with the title, uh, this episode is exactly what Natalie was just saying, which is it's a going to museums with somebody. Because one of the things, Natalie is one of my favorite museum buddies, and one of the things that we often talk about is, um, you know, it's different not only going with somebody versus going with yourself, but who you bring to the museum. And so case in point, Natalie and I both together, we recently went to see the Picasso sculpture exhibit before I left New York. Um, I had previously seen the exhibit um, with a friend of mine. And um, had you gone before to this Picasso sculpture or was that the first time when we went? That was my first time. And you went, have you gone now? Did Miriam and you, did, is that what you saw? Yeah. Okay. So she didn't. So. so it was kind of like funny because she wasn't there before, but I was there before with you. So we kind of like, so next she has to go with someone. Someone new. It has to be like a tag situation. Yeah. But so, I mean, so that's interesting because I know that my experience of seeing the exhibit with you was very different with than as an artist, you know, seeing it with my friend who wasn't an artist. So, so let me just describe this exhibit for one second. And then I'm going to talk about some specifics about how it was different. So the Picasso Sculpture exhibit is an enormous exhibit. It takes up an entire floor of MoMA, um, and it's all of his sculpture. And it covers a wide range of time and a wide range of styles. One of the great things that I really like about Picasso is that he was a bit of a um, 
flippity gibbet about the kind of art he created just in terms of he created a lot of art in a lot of different styles so it's everything from thin wire sculptures to tiny little um, plaster sculptures to enormous um, stone sculptures to metal to wood to I mean I can't imagine a material that he didn't use I think there was ceramic there was I mean there was everything right um, lots of different styles, some of it rough, some of it polished, some of it painted, some of it carved, like there was, there was just everything. And so it was really interesting to see. So I, um, I know that when you and I go, Natalie, we talk a lot about how things were made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's we talk a lot the about things. the materials. Like we geek out about, oh my gosh, how could he, how did he use this? Or can you spy what material he even used? And yeah, I guess that's kind of different. We're not talking a lot about the meaning. Um, it's a lot about materials and how things are put together. Well, because a lot of it, I know that when I go with you, my first thought is, um, how am I going to steal what I'm seeing? Right. You know, and use it in some way. So a lot of what we end up talking about is stuff like, uh, so like, well, there were some of Picasso's famous guitars were exhibited there. And I remember we were talking about, isn't it interesting how by having them together, you, the, doesn't matter how much the guitar motif sort of falls apart, you understand that it's a guitar. But if you saw that by itself, maybe the one that's the most abstract, I'm not sure you would recognize it as a guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think so we also are talking about sort of curation and seeing things in groups and working in a series and all sorts of stuff that's related to kind of art making and art display. And I know that when I had gone with my friend who's a non-artist, one of the things that he and I talked a lot about more was what do you like? Like what's Mm -hmm. pretty, what's attractive, what makes you feel something. And then as a sort of separate side note, my brother went separately to the exhibit. um, And he and I just talked about it afterwards. And he really didn't like it. I loved the exhibit. I know. He didn't like it. He said he found it really cold. That's interesting. Because I heard that from, I heard something similar from somebody. Who was that? Some. I don't recall anymore, but someone else told me in the neighborhood that they didn't like their exhibition. And I was like, why? And they they felt that there was no emotion involved. And I had a total different experience. And you and I even talked about it, that um, that Picasso sculpture exhibition made me really happy. Not only the first time, also the second time, because there was so much fun involved in like getting you know, uh, f- figuring out is how is this guitar? Is this a guitar? Oh, I see it. There is a guitar again. Or like seeing all different kinds of faces, and all those faces were happy faces, and there were a lot of like funny uh, snippets that were just like made you feel connected with the artist and thinking, my gosh, this guy is a really funny guy. I mean, he was not all only funny as we know, but like there was this. Yeah, he was also a total pervert, but yes. Exactly. But no, what I was going to say is, but I think like that speaks to my point, which is when uh, my brother Matthew said that, I suddenly started thinking about it and I was like, I can totally see how you could find the sculpture cold because Hmm. everything that you're saying that we liked about it is a lot about how it made us feel as artists, how Mm -hmm. it made us excited to make things. But Mm -hmm. someone who's not necessarily a maker in that sense, you know, it's interesting to see how they could find it cold because to a certain extent, even though most of his sculptures are representative um, and many of them are of people, they're not... 
they're not stories within themselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're more interesting objects and intellectual Although, in some way. And I think I think that it's funny because maybe it's kind of like uh, what we lose when we grow up. Um, because there were a lot of like kids this time when I was there in the um, exhibition. And, you know, it seemed like they had a really great time figuring out like what they can see in those different sculptures, faces, noses, you know, and maybe that's maybe because when we grow up, we kind of like approach everything more in an intellectual way. Uh, If you're trying to indicate that my brother is a grown up, I'm going (laughs) to laugh in your face. Sorry, mom. (laughs) I love all my children. All my children are beautiful. There you go. Thank you, mom. Anyway, (laughs) it's okay. He doesn't listen to the podcast. I Uh, like it. So, but don't tell him. (laughs) There you go. Um, So, you know, I, I think, I just think it's interesting because we all have, I mean, I think the thing about art that's so interesting is that we all bring our own stories to it and that's the thing sometimes about um who you go to the museum with which is you look at a painting and you say what's the story and it's like girl with the pearl earring Vermeer's very very famous painting right I I may look at it and have one story we know somebody else looked at it and wrote a book about what that story is you know but there we all bring our own baggage and expectations and I even remember so what was that exhibit that you and I went to with the German artist um with the watchtowers Oh, oh uh, Sigma Polka. There you go. Polka, who I had gone and I had one feeling about it. And then I went with you and A, you read the German to me and that changed my mind. And B, what I thought were essentially like Baywatch beach towers. You were like, um, hello, moron. Are you the stupidest person who ever walked the earth? What those actually are, are those the guard towers from when Germany had a wall? <laughs> Right. Well, and I, I was like, say oh, moron, but <laughs> <laughs> but the, the connotation, the, the indication was there is all I'm saying. And the disdain dripping from your voice. But no. So but then that that's really important. And it reminds me of also like when we were in Germany looking at the art that was on um, the wall. Right. The Berlin Wall. That, and you were saying like, oh, the bananas on top of their heads represent this. And I would never have known that. But because you're German and steeped in that culture, you understand understood that you know right which is a lot of times happens with you and me too I remember one time we were at MoMAR well they had this exhibition now a little bit more um, exclusively but with um, Lawrence is the name right yeah with Jacob Lawrence right and um, you were standing in front of two paintings of his that were in the permanent exhibition a couple years ago when you gave me the one dollar MoMAR tour (laughs) I think you raised it to two dollars at some point, but anyway, I feel like it should be five dollars, really. I know, but um, we were standing in front of two of those paintings, and you were asking me what I feel when I look at those paintings. And besides, you know, those colors were speaking to me, and I found it interesting. There was nothing really that clicked, and that was because you have to be engraved in the American history and culture in order to have a certain feeling towards those paintings, which I, which is the same point as looking at something that is in East, in the former Eastern part of Germany. And there's something on the former Berlin wall, which has bananas where you're like, are they bananas? Why are there bananas? Right. So there is, there's, and that's why I enjoy it so much going with you, for example, or with someone from a different 
uh, country into museums because there's so much more you can learn because they can they can relate differently to the artwork and um, can tell you about the cultural background. Right, because the Jacob Lawrence series, we were looking at the Southern Migration series, which is, um, there's a lot of race relationship issues in there, which is obviously, uh, some of it is very specific to America. And so there are certain images that just struck me really hard, having been steeped in that culture that, you know, obviously got lost. But I was going to say, I went to an exhibit today, actually, at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. Um, with my father, and it was a Dutch exhibit. And the first thing I thought is, wow, if Birgit, so Birgit Koopsen, mm-hmm. who's a friend of ours, who's who's Dutch, who lives in the Netherlands, and I kept thinking, oh, if I went with her, I bet I would learn so much more about these paintings than the placards can tell me, you know, because obviously she's steeped in that culture and she would know more about it, you know? Yes, I did go, um, I visited, I did a Europe uh, workshop tour this year, in the beginning of the year, and I actually stayed with Birgit in her wonderful uh, home, and she lives in a street which is called Werkmannskade, and it was really interesting um, because I, you know, she she before didn't know she knew that was a painter or a printmaker, but she didn't know a lot about it uh, itself. But all the other streets around are all named for famous de Ploeg. Uh, I say it totally wrong. Sorry for all Dutch listeners. The Paul, I don't know. I can't say it. But anyway, painters from a certain period. And um, it happened while I was there at her place that there was a Werkmann um, exhibition in the Groningen Museum. And we went there together. And she actually learned a lot about the person who who her street was named after. Sorry, Birgit, for giving away your address. <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> but what was very very interesting in in that whole um, going to the museum and looking at all his uh, prints, he was an amazing printmaker. He did like layered uh, prints with a printing machine uh, using stencils and all kinds of uh, different materials. So kind of like what we can. Uh, reproduce uh, with monoprinting um, too. So in that perspective, it was wonderful to see how it was make, but made, but it was also wonderful to talk to uh, Birgit about their uh, background of in which he was set and lived, uh, also because she lives uh, very close to the his home city. So, you know, like, um, like, the Grachten and um, their uh, um, landscape that was often a topic, uh, politics that were uh, were featured in his prints, and a lot. It was very interesting talking to her about it, and um, and kind of like I think the the conversation then that we had about it also triggered m- more in her to you know. Um, go deeper and find out even more about it because she was like, okay, I need to respond to these annoying questions by Natalie. How do I find out? So it was a, it was very interesting. And I would have never found out about this amazing artist uh, who's very under, uh, not very well known outside maybe, you know, truly printmakers um, if it wasn't uh, for being at Birgit's place and also knowing Birgit. So that was pretty cool. Well, I think a lot of times um, 
people can't I mean they say like the company that you keep changes your perspective so like if you go to something and somebody you're with is really geeked out about it even if it's not something you geek out about I think you get excited whereas Mm -hmm. if you go with somebody who the whole time hates it and wants to leave I think that affects your experience as well Mm -hmm. you know and and I think that there is something exciting about going with someone who I'm not going to say like hates it and wants to leave, but someone who disagrees with you about Mm -hmm. what's great and what's not, because I think that becomes an interesting conversation because then instead of, because listen, it's great fun to be of the same mind as somebody when you see art, but it's also really just interesting to go with somebody who has a really different perspective and can maybe open your mind and get you a little bit out of your comfort zone, you know, which is why it's fun to go with someone who's an expert in something. I mean, I'd say that one of the things that's great about both my parents, who I've been to museums with many a time, um, is that they both have a lot more knowledge about classical painting than I do. Mm-hmm. And so that's really interesting because I always feel like I get an education, you know, like I, so part of this Dutch exhibit, there were a bunch of Rembrandts and if I may, I don't love Rembrandt and I'm sorry, <laughs> that's probably heretical to say, but I don't, um, I find a lot of his work very still it just doesn't speak to my soul I guess you could say so I mean he's fabulously talented it's just not my cup of tea but if you'd like to give me a Rembrandt I'll be happy to uh, take it to auction anyway (laughs) um, what I was gonna say is but you know there was stuff that my dad was pointing out to me today that is stuff I wouldn't have thought about because there was a Rembrandt right next to another painter whose name I can't remember because I'm a bad person um and the two paintings were very similar both men wearing very black clothes with very white collars full length almost exactly the same size which is obviously why they were curated and put next to each other um one of the things my dad was pointing out is he was saying look how black the blacks are in rembrandt as opposed to in the other painting how white the stark contrast the difference in the way like the background is handled in terms of in the rembrandt like the person's face was a single most important thing and everything else was just kind of there and in the other painting everything and the painting was articulated in beautiful detail you mm-hmm. know and it's um one of those things that i would have glanced over the paintings and if you said is this the same artist i would have said sure but then when you take a minute you know what I mean? To really stare at some of the details, you do start to see the little differences. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not something I would have noticed. It's not something that was on a placard, but it's something that he said to me. So that's clearly, you know, by going with him. And I'm sure if I took my mother to that exhibit, she would have a world of other things to say. I mean, I even think like my dad and I today talked a lot about frames that mm-hmm. paintings were in, partially because, as you know, someone we've gone to the museum a number of times with is Corey, who was our teacher, who we took mm-hmm. classes with. And one of the things he's interested in, because he is a um, conservator, is frames. Yes. And so and... now it's something I'm incredibly conscious about, and I end up now spreading that thought to other people, like a disease, yeah. the frame disease. And it's very interesting because if if he wouldn't have had pointed out to us that a lot of museums got rid of uh, frames that actually were even made by the artist just because it would fit better if every painting in that museum in the 70s had the same frame. So they kind of like thought, oh, we need to, all of our paintings here have to have the same white frame or the same 
golden frame and then you're like yeah but that doesn't really fit to the he would get really really upset talking about it that first um a you would um that they would destroy in those times uh, frames that the artist made solely for that specific painting, but also that the museums would rather have their frames uh, look like the same as to look good with the certain artwork. And when he was talking about it, it really, it resonated with me, but it didn't click like totally until I went recently, not with you. What? <laughs> but, uh, I know, we should go. But uh, with a good friend of ours to uh, Karen D'Angelo, uh, we did a museum stay and we went to the Whitney Museum. And what they did in the Whitney Museum was they took a lot of time emphasizing uh, frames. So they did a lot of research um, figuring out how the original frames have looked like um, and they had them redone by um, by a very well-known framer. Um, so they did research, looked at photos from the time period of that um, certain um, painting and then would like redo the frame. And it was just amazing because like, uh, I think it was their uh, exhibition on the fifth floor uh, modern art, modern American artists, and it was like all different frames. And the first thing I would see was like, oh my goodness, how, what a difference uh, these frames are making. It was amazing. And it totally clicked then what Corey used to say to us that frames are very, very important for the artwork. And yes, if he wouldn't have pointed that out, you know, it wouldn't be something that we would have, uh, would have looked for, I guess. Mom, you've been very loud and I, I'd love <laughs> to have you quiet down a little or maybe contribute. Well, I was just thinking when you guys were talking, of course, I always think of myself <laughs> and I think it goes back to a basic question, which is, why are you going to a museum? And I think different people have different reasons. And I was realizing that I go to museums to learn something. That is what makes me feel that I had a successful uh, museum visit. But I could certainly accept that someone might go to see something beautiful or to see something they couldn't do or to have something to talk about, you know, at the next uh, cocktail party. I think they're all valid reasons to go. So what really, uh, so the way I do museums, which frustrates people sometimes, is I read every little placard and it takes me forever to get through. When you say frustrates through. people, are you, are you saying, <laughs> are you talking about me? Well, I'm allowing you to be a people. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it takes me forever to get through. And I, I realized that that actually my father used to do that too. But I'm, and I love to go on tours with curators and I love to read what art critics have to say about things. I don't necessarily always agree with any of that, but I learn so much. But I can absolutely see that that's not the only reason to go, but you just, this conversation has made me focus on what I personally am looking for when I go to a museum. And now I have had the experience of taking my kids uh, as little kids and then as they grew up to museums. And 
here again, the danger is you want them to enjoy the experience. You don't want this to be some kind of terrible, you know, death march through the museum. <laughs> so uh, you try to find ways into their uh, into their sphere of interest and uh, not make it a, a kind of a now listen, this is school kind of experience. But I would say, so when you go to a museum with someone who is there for the same reasons you are, you have one kind of visit, you go with people who are there for a different reason, then you're going to have a different conversation. All of this is worth doing. It happens when you go to a play or a movie or a concert or anything like that to a political event. It, it, it's just, I am now aware from your conversation of why I go to museums. That's But all. I think that is part of it for, you know, I don't, yeah, you're right that everyone has probably a different like reason to go to a museum. museum. Some people go because it's just something you do when you visit a different um, city and you want to see the the, the artwork, but I also find it interesting to learn, like wh what you say about like reading every little bit. I'm not quite as <laughs> reading everything, but I often do. I often do research afterwards if something really impressed me, or I take a photo of their um, sign and then look at it later to read what what is said about it. But um, I think it's so important because you can learn a lot about, as we said before, like culture, uh, history, um, reasonings for artists to do um, artwork. And I was just thinking about, I posted a video on my blog, which was called, um, I Could Do That, um, posted by a curator about when people, you know, when people go to a museum and they look, for example, at a Jackson Pollock and they are going, what's this, you know, I could do that when they stand in front of it and why that is a problem. And so she goes a little bit, you know, on about why, why, um, why when is art art? But one thing that I found very interesting in her conversation on the video was, uh, as an example, she had um, an artwork which was done by um, Felix uh, Gonzalez Torres. It's called Perfect Lovers, and these are two clocks, um, the very uh, simple clocks, just you know, white background, and then um, the clockwork is um, like a like modern, not numbers, just their um, you know how, how you call it. I don't even know it. Dots or dashes. Dots, yeah, or exactly dashes. Yeah. And um, they are on different times and they sit next to each other on the wall. And, you know, if I would have seen that art artwork and looked at it, I would be like, hmm, I don't know, what is this going to tell me? And is this even art? And I can buy some, uh, I can buy some of two of those clocks at whatever uh, Ikea or whatever and just put them on the wall as that art too. But she was explaining that um, his, his, um, his boyfriend had actually uh, HIV and he, they knew that he would die. And it was the two clocks represented uh, one represented his himself and the other one his boyfriend and that at some point they would go out of sync uh, even though they were set at the same time with the same battery 
when you have two clocks at some point, they're not going the same speed. You know, one one clock might go f um, slower or one would die, the battery would die earlier. And that was so, such a... Hearing that background story of what he thought about doing this artwork made me all of a sudden like really appreciate this artwork. You know what I mean? Like the story behind it. And I found it like poetic the way how he how he was uh expressing this feeling of i'm gonna lose my uh my lover and we are we are perfect now but at some point we will be out of sync and without having that knowledge or without hearing about it or reading about it i would be still like well uh, just buy two clocks and put them on the wall <laughs> You know, Natalie, you've just given me another thought. So thank oh, you. Awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're so rare these days. Uh, I was thinking that sometimes people think that it's modern, that you have to have an intellectual framework or you have to know the background of the artist or the situation in order to appreciate the art. But actually, if you think about, for example, medieval European art, everybody knew the same stories, the religious stories that a lot of that art was based on. So there was that intellectual framework. It's just assumed that everybody had the same same one. But mm -hmm. now there are just a lot more different types of people making art, and we have more access to their art, partly with the internet and with travel. And so we need more things explained to us, but it's not actually that different. Well, here's what I'd say, which is I think that, uh, A, I always like it when art gets better when you know more. I have had the experience occasionally of art getting worse when you know worse. more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I always think is problematic. Um, but B, I think um, the stuff for me that holds up over time is the stuff that you you bring okay listen it's like I said earlier you bring yourself to anything that you look at just like you bring yourself to every book that you read and whatever your past your experience is etc cetera, etc cetera, you bring it to whatever that you're viewing and that makes sense whether you're a medieval person with a religious upbringing who's looking at a religious painting or whether you're a I almost said 1990s and I just realized it's 2015 anyway <laughs> Uh, whether you're a 2015, you know, American in America looking at an American painter or whatever it is, you know what I mean? We all bring ourselves to it. And I think that the art for me that stands up um, has some things that, again, you can find interesting, stimulating, beautiful, whatever you want to say without having to have that baggage. And then the knowledge adds a layer, you know, adds and another layer. Why should every piece of art appeal to everybody? I don't feel that every book or every piece mm -mm. of music should appeal to everybody. So why do we somehow feel that everyone should agree on a piece of art? I 100% agree. The I, agree I will just say this. Too. The worst thing that anybody can ever say about my art is that they just uh, – it's not memorable. So I don't care if you hate it or love that's it. True. But when you don't even think about it, that's when I'm upset. And I think that's tr that was true when I was a theatrical director. I always used to say, I either want people in the theater to stand up screaming or to be like, that is the worst show I ever saw. What you don't they want. They might still stand up screaming. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, what you don't want, thanks mom, support, thank you. What you don't want is for them to be like, hey, where do you want to eat? Or, you know, you know what I mean? Like you want them to actually want to talk about the damn show. And I think um, the same thing is true when I create stuff, which is I like, I like images that are arresting, you know, and mm-hmm. not like in a shock value, you know, boobs out kind of way, but in a... Uh, I can't look away. There's something quirky and weird. There's something off. I have to look again. The colors are grabbing me. The gaze is right at me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's, I would say so when we were just um, hopping from exhibit to exhibit at the MFA today, one of the things we passed by is they have a little gallery that has like best hits. So there's like a Gauguin and a Picasso and some Beckmans or now, as I know from Natalie, Beckman. Uh, although I sound like a pretentious jerk when I say it that way, but she sounds great. Anyway, um, <laughs> exactly. I say Max Beckman. Uh, but anyway, so, but what I noticed when I pass some of those painters who I love, like Gauguin, like Beckman, like Picasso, what they are, as opposed to like John Singer Sargent, who's a brilliant painter and does beautiful stuff, but, uh, uh, and his works are arresting in a different way. All three of those painters, there's stuff that's wrong with their paintings when you look at it, like aggressively wrong, and yet mm-hmm. so interesting, makes you want to stop and dive in, you know, and other people may be offended or put away or pushed away by it or whatever, but I, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I, it sounds weird to bring that up, but I will do it anyway. <laughs> well, you are <laughs> a weirdo. You are a I weirdo. think it's sometimes so so interesting because we don't get to know their artists to you know to explain it, or some some artists don't even ever like talk about it. I was just reading about uh, an interview today about Sai. Is that the, how you say it, Sai Twombly? Yeah, you got yeah. it. You can, now you can make fun of me. So next, um, Beckman. So, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really love um, Cy Twombly, and I was reading this uh, interview that he did with Tate because they are going to do a big um, um, exhibition about his work um, soon in London. And um, their interview actually states that there are only like a handful of interviews with him um, ever been done, that he's extremely... um, reserved and doing interviews and I thought that was very that's very interesting so there's someone who's still alive right and who I think is an amazing artist I love his artwork and um, because I love graffiti so (laughs) what's not to love about scribbling into paint Um, so uh, you know there so there is someone you could ask but you you, I would be like, I want to be in the room with him and talk to him about his artwork and not what I see, what he actually feels about it. And when I did, I did this, um, there's a an open studio tour in Jersey City, like in probably all kinds of cities in America where uh, people can do a tour of artist studios and see their artwork. So I participated in that um, this year and last year. And the difference to last year was last year I was in the city hall with my artwork and you couldn't really like stay there forever and talk with people, you know, and get to know people that were looking at your artwork versus this year I was having my work at some friend of mine that have a wonderful um, antique store. And so my, my work was set up there and I was the entire time with my friends at their store and I could see the reactions of everyone who was walking in 
And, you know, sometimes they were asking, is the artist here? And sometimes they weren't, but you had a conversation with these people. And I would like hear how people would perceive those paintings and what they would see in those paintings. And that was so interesting. And then when they figured out I was the one who painted them and they would ask me, so what did you what did you what, what did you uh, mean by painting that i f felt of like i don't want to tell you because i find your story so much in more interesting <laughs> than my own or i don't want to spoil it for you because what you see in this painting is actually pretty awesome and i don't want to take it away with my story because i had an a vision of what i wanted to paint and then it went through my body somehow, right? And it came out of my hands. <laughs> I digested my vision of that painting, threw it on my canvas. And I don't want to, I don't want to like change your view of what you're seeing here. Does that make sense? Yes. You didn't want them to think lesser of it after you added <laughs> in. <laughs> oh, is exactly. that not the point? <laughs> no, but I'm saying it's so interesting that... You know, as as uh, Eileen said, like um, s sometimes it's also good to just see artwork and don't know the background about it, right? Because you can—it's your own story or your own view or your own knowledge that you connect with what you're seeing, and that might be that might be pretty good in seeing your artwork. It's a there's a delicate balance because you both blog and I think if you blog you are actually reaching out to people with your art and don't you love getting comments mm -hmm. and don't you feel that when you get a lot of comments on a particular blog post that that's a successful blog post and I think what what happens is on the one hand you have to create for yourself but on the other hand you absolutely are interested in what other people have to say about it otherwise why would you blog yeah but you never you what I find so interesting is that sometimes you you said not every or we said um, not everyone needs to like every artwork so right. for example I posted a couple of days ago a painting that I made for the studio tour and I had not one single comment on that painting so I know my readers didn't like that painting because usually when I when I post like one of my city paintings uh I get a couple comments right so I was like oh people really don't like that painting the funny thing is I made that painting and it sold so someone liked it you know what I mean and that proves the point not everyone likes every artwork right so it's interesting. So living for comments, yes, I like I like to have comments and uh, have a converse. I like a conversation more than having just comments on my blog. Um, but it's an it's a reminder that when you blog about your artwork or you put it out on social media, it's not all about uh, the comments that you should take away as um, uh, reassurance. Yeah, but you know, there's something you have else. To be happy with it there's too. something else there, Natalie, too, which is the whole reason to go to museums, which is mm -hmm. artwork viewed in person, because the person mm -hmm. who bought it bought it in person, right? It's from the open mm -hmm. studio or the uh, the exhibit you had, right? Mm -hmm. And as opposed to looking at something online, and I do think like the one thing that I have so learned 
is that when I look at something in person, I, it is always different. It is mm-hmm. always a different experience. And I, it's even like the difference between, so today at the um, Dutch exhibit, there was a painting where uh, I, that I did not particularly like. And then I happened to look back at it from across the room. And I was like, wow, did I see that painting? What a fabulous painting. And as I got closer, I realized it was a painting <laughs> that I had seen and not liked. But from far away, it really struck me. And I think the same thing is true. You see stuff on the internet and it's a tiny little picture. Even if it's the hugest picture on earth in terms of the internet, it's still a tiny little version of the art, you know, and it makes it look different. And I know that one of the things that um, is weird about either magazine work or internet work or stuff like that is if you know that that's where it's going to live, you create the art differently and I know one of the things Mm -hmm. about your art that we've always talked about for years and years since when we were both avid you know scrapbooker only people back in the time period where you said you hated art journaling and you just didn't get it (laughs) and I will never tire of throwing that in your face uh back then like we used to talk all the time about how one of the most wonderful and distinctive things about your work is the texture in it and that texture never photographs never never Mm -hmm. never 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 photographs you know it just doesn't um, the mm-hmm. other thing is the colors are not true. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that I had this cataract removed from one of my eyes and the colors are completely different in that eye from the one that still has a cataract. It's wow. so interesting. And so you never know what people are seeing. Uh, the Internet is just very, very deceptive. Right. But so that's true. That's why I you mean, go that... to a museum so you can actually see right. that painting. A scale makes a huge difference. Texture makes a huge difference. Right. I mean, all this stuff, it's just viewing art is different. So it's not just, I mean, so again, we've been talking today, obviously, about seeing it with a friend versus, you know, uh, the particular mm-hmm. person you go with. But it's also like seeing it in real life versus seeing a picture of it is different. Yeah, I mean, like um, getting back to seeing it in real life with a friend I mean, is like also pointing out different, you open up a conversation, right? For me, going to a, to a museum with a friend is like a, it's like a social, it's a, it's a social event. It's like eating a meal with someone, which is why we're perfect friends, because we all love to eat and we all love to go to a museum. <laughs> In fact, I was thinking, what do we normally do at the museum? We eat <laughs> and then we look at the art. What did you I know, do you today? Can have, you can have good conversations with even total strangers. I mean, I'm thinking, Julie, of when we went to the Matisse exhibit and a woman we didn't know what, talked about how she had seen the same exhibit in a different museum, maybe in South America. No, and there she was saw more it at the Tate. Ro- okay, at the Tate. And oh, I, she was from South America, or she yes. lives in South America. And that there was so much more room in that particular exhibit space. And so the items were spaced out differently and you really could commune uh, with one or two. And that here she found it was just too crowded. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't been at the museum and talked to her. That's true. It's like there, yeah, you talk to strangers about it too. But I also think it's a very valuable thing in a friendship because I think a lot of the things that I, not all of it, but a lot of the things that I know about Julie or um, all her deepest secrets now <laughs> is um, from actually like talking about what we saw in the artwork. Because when you talk about how 
like when we were talking about like how I perceive the artwork or how she perceives the, perceives the artwork, you know, it also opens up a, a personal conversation in a different uh, in a different way. Right, because you which... bring yourself to the artwork and you have to filter it through your own personal experience. So if you had right. a death in the family and you're looking at something, then that relates into it. If you, you know, had a baby and there's a baby or there, or you didn't have a baby and there's a baby, you relate to it a certain way. Right. And that makes, I think, that's amazing when you go with a friend and kind of like also learn more about your friend through looking at certain artwork together. So it's another reason why it is awesome to go with friends to a museum. Yeah, I mean, I do think like one of the things that I also like is if I love something, I like to take people to it. If I loved an exhibit mm -hmm. and be like, look, look. And then it's always interesting if they don't like the same things that I liked. They're if... not your friends anymore, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're dead to Is me. Is that the ultimate test? Exactly. Like the... <laughs> yes, I bring <laughs> you and I stand you in front of this one painting. And unless you have the exact reaction that I require, you're gone. <laughs> well, for example, you may have a friend who likes only one particular kind of movie and you don't like that kind of movie and you like a different one. So that's an interesting bit of knowledge about about the other person it's also interesting to know what kind of art an artist a particular artist collects because mm -hmm. then you learn something about them I just think that it's just one more way going to a museum with a friend is one more way of finding out something about them and sharing something about well, yourself I was, this actually makes me think of project runway so I watched project runway yesterday which if, if you're unfamiliar with project runway I have no idea first of all get out of your cardboard box but um, no, so the deal with Project Runway is it's a show where people make um, clothing. So it's a fashion show and like then they're judged on these this clothing. So what I find interesting is the people who are judging have very sort of specific things that they're looking for. So Heidi Klum is very much like whether she would wear it or not, you know. The designers are more in the like how is it made, was it hard to do, is it, you know what I mean, inventive. The um, editorial director is looking at it more from a perspective of is it going to photograph, is it editorial, you know, and I think – that, again, I mean, the, if fashion is art, which I believe some of it is, you know, then you're thinking that's the same thing that they're bringing. And it goes back to that point you made, Mom, about what are you at the museum for? So what are you looking at fashion for? What are you doing it for? And it's always interesting when they have their discussions how they sort of manage to work each other around to their positions, which I think is the same thing that happens when you go to the museum with a friend, which is in talking about it, you sort of work yourself around. I also think the other thing that's really important, besides the sharing of a personal experience, which is I say this to my students ad nauseum, so I'm sure they're tired of it, but I always say you can't fix a problem unless you can articulate what the problem is. And so viewing art is the quickest way, especially when it's not your art, is the quickest way to learn how to articulate problems. Because you can look at a painting and say, I like this because, you know what I mean? Mm. Or you can say, I don't like this because. And as soon as you can start to articulate it about other people's art, you'll develop the ability to articulate it about your own art. And um, if I may just keep talking endlessly, which I will, 
Um, other it things, is your podcast. Stop there that person. No, <laughs> One of the things also is that I think I go to the museum sometimes to look for inspiration. I go to the museum sometimes to look for education. I go to the museum sometimes for camaraderie, just the fact of like hanging out with somebody. You know, sometimes I go to the museum for, for eating, which is not something you would think of going to a museum for. But I think, you know, whatever it is, you know, sometimes I go to the museum because I want to be part of the zeitgeist, you know, and there's a big exhibit that everyone's talking about or whatever it is. I mean, like when I went to see the rain room and waited in line for, you know, a, a, a super long time, I was going to say a rude word about it, but I'm just going to say it for a very long time. Um, the whole reason that I did that is because I wanted to be part of that experience that everybody was talking mm-hmm. about, you know, not because it actually interested me. And then after having do it, done it, I was like, that was cool. I think it was worth the hour and a half wait, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you're looking actually... for... Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> everybody really stop talking except for me. Just kidding. Okay, what? <laughs> One of the things that museums are trying to figure out is how to get a broader range of people to come to the museum more often. And so I think they have the same internal conversation, which is, all right, let's get the people who are coming for entertainment. Let's get the people who are coming for a glitzy thing. Let's get the people who want to buy the, you know, aprons that are printed with this artwork. There there are all kinds of ways that they try to bring in people who may come to the museum for reasons that are not just to see the art. I have the ultimate idea how they could get Julie and me in almost every day. Have food, food in every gallery. <laughs> so I here's my perfect setting. In an amazing exhibition, has to be ex- amazing. How they do that, I don't care. Could be the Picasso right now because I think that is amazing, right? They have actually a wonderful setup table in the gallery with like another three or four people so it's julie and and me maybe eileen i don't know i know you like to to eat and some other people and then we will get served like really awesome food meanwhile uh the curator or uh um a conservator is talking about the artwork well, I'm there. I would say I'm totally there. And actually, one of the things I know that my mom has done in the past, which I think is really cool, is there's a gallery here in Boston that occasionally has dinners in the gallery, like a sit-down when dinner. When is the next time when I'm <laughs> coming to visit you? <laughs> and like, I'm there. I know we've been to other galleries, like I'm thinking of Mobilia, for example, where they have some opening parties and they have like real food, like dumplings and stuff that they, you know, mm-hmm. pass around and you're looking at it. Um, and you know, I know a lot of museums use alcohol as a lure. Certainly when you go to the MoMA openings, it's the open bar that brings people around. Open bar and popcorn. It's not a great combination. I know. Personally, (laughs) I would rather have like chocolate chip cookies for everyone. But yes. I'm I'm there with you. Or a nice cheese platter would be nice too. That would be nice. I would like that. Yeah. Let's, let's make, let's make them give us more food (laughs) anyway. Okay, we devolved <laughs> well, because, completely off topic here. Well, I don't think so. I mean, no. I think that uh, when you're eating something nice, you're more sort of feeling more sensual. You're being uh, uh, sensitive to things that are maybe subconscious. And that's a good way to approach art, too. You, you become expansive. You become relaxed. And, and it's not a bad setting, it's not a bad kind of uh, uh, atmosphere in which to view art. 
Mm-hmm. I, this sounds a lot like the witch from Hansel and Gretel who just feeds them endlessly. I'm just saying <laughs> to lull them into. I am not going to take that personally. <laughs> I'm fine with that. If Momer or whatever nice museum is the witch and I'm Gretel and you're Hansel, I'm fine with I'm that. I'm just saying Moma has mom in it. That's all I'm saying, mom. Anyway, uh, okay, so uh, I think we should probably wrap things up. I do want to say that um, I encourage you, I know if you don't, a lot of people have said to me they love hearing about museums and they don't have one near them. Most places do have, I mean, there. I will say in the dinky little town outside of Boston that I've moved to, there is, in fact there are actually two or three little museums that you probably never knew about because they're only open by appointment or stuff like that. So do some internet sleuthing and you may find something interesting in your neighborhood. Um, The other thing is I will just say Natalie and I are teaching an amazing, unbelievable, totally fantastic, don't miss it, three-day workshop in Australia coming in, uh, I hope I'm there on the right dates, April. Uh, and yes, it's going to be awesome. We're going to be outside of Sydney and outside of Melbourne. Um, and they're totally cool. And we're hoping to maybe take it to a couple, uh, other places besides Australia, but we'll have to see how it goes, but it's going to be amazing and you should be there and you can find lots more information on either of our websites, um, because we're super fun. (laughs) She's laughing, but not because it's not true. Okay, so Natalie, where online can people find you? You can find me on my website, nataliesstudio.com. That's one S, not like 12 in there, but yes. No, yes, but it's nataliesstudio.com. So it's actually two S's. uh, Yes, in a way. Really? Well, Natalie, S, and then studio. I'm Natalie's, just saying. Oh, I see. That's why yeah. this. Goes, Natalie's. Uh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's confusing. Um, yeah, they can find me there. Uh, and there are links to my other social media uh, platforms. And if you want to follow me, that would be awesome. I would be happy to have you. I love reading comments and get in a discussion with you too, if it's a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> and and Mama, what do you have to say? I have to go finish your soup. Oh, Ooh. that sounds yummy. That makes me jealous. Ha huh. I've replaced <laughs> you with my mother. Okay, so. <laughs> As always, you can find me at balserdesigns.typefed.com and do leave us your comments or questions at balserdesigns.com backslash arting. We would love to hear from you and we would love to read any of your thoughts or feedback or stories on the show. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. That's A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.